Hey friends, this is Josh Blair and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you could check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, that you are present, not only with me as I bring your word to your people, but you are present with your people where they're at, as they're watching, as they're joining with others, as they're celebrating this Sunday, as we're reminded that you are alive, that you are on the throne, that you are in control. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we approach uh, this word, your word, that you would illuminate to us Jesus and that you would open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you have for us. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, uh, what, what we're going to look at today is um, it, it relates to this one saying that I'm sure some of you might know. There's a saying that goes, there are two certainties in life. There are two certainties in life. And I'm going to pause right there to give you a chance to answer. If you know what those two certainties are in life, they're inevitable. I want you to write now in the comment section, write... Those two certainties of life. If you know what they are, go ahead and comment them right now, and then we'll circuit back to see if you're right or not. And if you are, I'll give you a, an air high five. All right, so, so we're going to be looking at this passage of Scripture today, and Jesus is going to address these two certainties of life that we see in this life, and then Mark is going to uh, shift our perspective on based on what Jesus is teaching us to say not only are there two certainties in life that I want you to know about and how, how God responds to those two certainties, but also there are certainties that help you understand eternal life. So not only are we looking at two certainties in this life, but two certainties of what it means to have eternal life with Jesus forever. And so as we look at the scripture today, we're going to be addressing the two certainties of this life and two certainties, inevitabilities of the next. And uh, so as you are turning with me to Mark chapter 12, if you have your version Bible apps, you can follow along there. Also, we'll have questions that are, that are going out for our community groups that are online as well. And so you can find those in those sections. So Jesus addresses the first two certain certainties of life. If you answered in the comment section, death and taxes... You're right. Congratulations. You win the ability to pay your taxes and to eventually one day die. So there are two certainties in life. That's how the statement goes. Death and taxes. We're always trying to escape them, and yet they are inevitable. I know people who have tried to escape paying taxes. I know people who are always trying to escape death, find the fountain of youth, find ways to live a lot longer, and in life, it's inevitable that you will pay taxes and that you will one day die. Unless Jesus comes back and he raptures us and we don't have to taste death. But if not, we will die here on this earth. And there are, there are countless stories of, of people who do radical things to try to escape or avoid taxes and death. I mean, you can go right now and you can Google celebrities that have been arrested for tax evasion and you will see a long list of famous people who just happened to forget to pay their taxes from 2002 to 2010. They owed 
millions and millions of dollars, these people who have millions and millions of dollars just for some reason or another forgot to pay taxes, and yet they thought they would get away with it. Little did they know the IRS has all their information. And so the IRS tracks them down. Then they have to pay huge penalties and fines. Some of them have done jail time because they tried to avoid taxes, and yet taxes are inevitable. They are a certainty of life. And then there are others who try to escape death. I don't know if you know this, but there's a pseudoscience called cryogenics. And it's the idea that once someone passes, we can freeze their bodies. We can try to keep their, their corpses, their flesh, in a frozen state with the hopes that in the future at some point, We'll understand and gain enough understanding and technology to be able to thaw those people out and reanimate them and bring them back to life. Now, you think that's crazy, and I would agree, but there have been 1,500 people in the U.S. alone that have decided to freeze their bodies since 2014. Some people believe they are, they are, they are wanting a way to escape death, and yet death is inevitable. Death and taxes, it's there. And so as we look at this text this morning, Jesus is going to talk about these two things. He has asked questions on death and taxes. And Jesus says, look, there are some things you're going to have to deal with. There are certain, un, uh, there are certain um, inevitable things in this life, but your focus and God's focus are something different. And so as we go to the text, Jesus has asked this first question, by the, it says the Pharisees and the Herodians teamed up to trap Jesus. Okay, which is an odd pairing because the Pharisees are religious uh, leaders, a religious elite, and they were all about ritual purity, right? About how you live and how you dress and doing all the motions. And so, and the Herodians were a bunch of heathens, crazy, crazy guys. And so for them to pair up, it was, it was interesting that both sides of the aisle, those who are legalistic and those who are rebellious, are still trying to take down Jesus. And so they team up together, and they're going to trap him. But first, when they come to him, they begin to flatter him. The first time that we see in Mark's gospel where they come and flatter him, oh, wise teacher, we know that you're not partial. You don't care about what people think, and you teach the truth. And all of those things are true, but they don't believe him. I just want to make a side note real quick for, our, for those of us. If you have somebody who's always trying to flatter you, beware. If someone who's always trying to butter you up, it's for a reason and for a purpose. They're either trying to hide something or they're trying to cover something up or they're trying to get one over on you. So be cautious of people who like to flatter. They did it to Jesus, but he was cautious and he knew exactly what they were doing. And it, it says that they flattered him, and then they kind of ask him, trying to nonchalantly after buttering him up and saying how wonderful you are, they're like, oh, so, um, yeah, by the way, should we pay taxes to Caesar or no? Like, no. Should we do that? It was kind of like they were just kind of throwing it out there, and that was the trap. Should we lie? Man, Jesus, you're great. Yeah, I mean, you're awesome, but do you think we should pay, like, taxes? Nah, because I write, I don't. Do we? Should we? And so they're trapping him because they're hoping that he, if he says no, They'll, they'll say, wow, he's revolting against Caesar. He's here to rise a revolt, and he's, he's going to lead a rebellion, and we should lock him up. He's dangerous. He's saying we shouldn't pay taxes. Tax evasion. Lock him up. Or if he says yes, they're hoping that they'll turn the crowd against him because the crowd doesn't like paying taxes. Do you like paying taxes? Of course not. And he's hoping, hey, this guy, this Jesus, he's pro-Rome. He's pro-oppression. 
He's pro uh, them taking our money. He's a bad guy. We shouldn't listen to him. So they, they give him these two, they give him a trap. Either way he answers, I can, I can kind of see them thinking about it. Either way he answers, we've got him. But Jesus, smarter than they are, says, hey, bring me a denarius. Notice he doesn't have one because he's not a part of their system. He says, bring it to me. And he looks at it and he says, uh, whose inscription and likeness is on this coin? And they say, it's Caesar's. And uh, he says to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Now, here's what's powerful about this. First, he's saying this. Look, this is Caesar's money. You want to be a part of Caesar's system and Caesar's kingdom and you carry around his coinage? Well, then pay him what you owe him. But be also reminded that Jesus just told a parable about the tenants who rejected the authority of their master and believed that the land that had been given to them as stewards they possessed. And who was that landowner but God in the parable? And Jesus is tying back this, this tax question back to the tenants and saying, hey, give to God what is God's. Because the Pharisees perceived that Jesus was talking about them in the parable and they wanted to kill him. And now they come asking him a question about Texas and he reminds them, you still haven't given God what belongs to God. You haven't given him your life. You haven't given him your heart. You haven't given him your money. You haven't given him anything that, he, that you owe him because he owns everything. And you're worried about paying a tax to a master whose coin you carry in your pocket and you don't pay God the life that he's breathed inside your lungs. You have it backwards. You have it all twisted around. And so Jesus brings it back. And says, look, you are more concerned with tax than you are concerned with God. So they, they are astonished. The people are astonished at his answer. And uh, what's also interesting about this, and just a quick little, I love little side notes and I'll throw them out there and I'll keep on moving. Is that we only see the word inscription in Mark's gospel twice. It's found once here. When Jesus asks for the coin and says, what's the inscription and the likeness? And then we see inscription again when it's describing the inscription over Jesus' head on the cross. The inscription on the coin says, Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. Right? Saying the emperor is the son of God. And Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross, they say that they call him a king of the Jews. It's ironic that the emperor is raised to God, godliness as God, and Jesus is just another king. They have it backwards, and they're concerned about paying the taxes to this king that calls himself a god, and they're not concerned about paying their life to who they call the king, who they also reject, and he's also God. So there is this... There is this Tension, this irony that's in there that I love that Mark points out to us. And he says, Caesar thinks he's God and he's not. And Jesus humbles himself and you reject him as your king and your God. So Jesus is reminding them of the parable and saying, you aren't really concerned about giving to God what is God's. And you keep being concerned about what you're doing with this money. And then, so right after that, then the, the Sadducees show up 
And we don't ever see, we haven't seen any interaction with the Sadducees yet in Mark's gospel because they're really only contained in Jerusalem. They're not around other places. And so they're the elite of the elite. And so Jesus comes in and they approach him and they start asking him about resurrection. And Mark wants to point out in the scripture that they don't believe in life after death. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in in the, the spiritual realm. They believe in what they can see, what they can feel, what they can touch. So this question is to reiterate the certainty of death. And they're trying to point out, look, Jesus, this guy can't be believed. He believes in resurrection, life. And let's ask him a really ridiculous question about seven brothers who marry all the same, the, the same woman. The oldest marries her, then he dies before giving her children. And in, in Mosaic law, that uh, if a brother died before having birth, it was, the, it was the responsibility of the next brother to come along and and, uh, raise, and, and give the woman a child for the namesake of his brother. So they say, oh, okay, there's seven brothers, and they keep dying one after the other. One after the other. Who, who does she belong to in, in heaven, in the resurrection? And Jesus is like, well, first of all, you don't know Scripture, and you don't know the power of God. He says, first of all, that's not going to happen. He says, you know, in, in heaven, people aren't given in marriage. And they're not doing all that. They're more concerned about worshiping God and being in the presence of God. And you don't understand the power of God. He says, look, you, you misunderstand Scripture. When, when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, jo- and Jacob, because God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And when we look at these two certainties of life, death and taxes, Jesus shifts our perspective from should we pay our taxes and how do we avoid death or what happens after death or is there life after death because it's certain that's going to die? And he says, look, uh, God has the final word on these things. These things that you are so certain about and so concerned with in this life, God has the final say on all of it. Be more concerned if, if you're paying to God what is God's and be more concerned with the power of God that says death does not have the final say on our lives, but God does. Even if death comes on us and overtakes us, we have life after death because we belong to Jesus. There is life in him. And so Jesus is shifting the, per, the perspective. In verse 24, he tells him, you're so wrong because you don't know scripture. You don't know the power of God. God is not the God of the dead. The God, he is the God of the living. And Jesus is trying to draw our attention away from the inevitability of these two things to the reality and the power of God. He's saying this, basically, what, what is there to be concerned about with paying taxes when God the Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Will he not take care of you? And yet you're squabbling over, should we pay or should we not? What is death if we belong to God who gives us resurrection of life and, and eternity with him? Even in these certainties of life, death and taxes, everybody's going to have to encounter them. We don't have to be uncertain about the outcome that we'll find ourselves in as we pursue Jesus. What the world says is inescapable, inevitable. Jesus declares that those things do not have the final word over our lives, but God does. Now, we begin to see this shift in Mark's gospel from the certainties of this life, death and taxes, to what Jesus wants us to understand and he wants to declare to us about the certainty 
that we can have in the next life. See, we're concerned with death and taxes. Everyone's going to be experiencing those, but Jesus is more concerned about what we'll experience in eternity. And he says, let me give you some ways to understand the certainty of receiving life with me forever. If these things are in your life and in your heart, then you will have a certainty of being in heaven with me forever. So Jesus, is, he, he, the, the, the concepts are shifted, and Mark so beautifully compares these two things in his writings, the certainties of this life to the certainty found in the next if you live out what Jesus talks about, how he answers these next two questions. So, well, first, one question he is asked by a scribe. The next one he asks the scribes and the Pharisees. The first question he's asked by a scribe in verse 28 says this, which is the greatest commandment? What is the most important commandment? And Jesus says to him in verse 29, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Notice that Jesus adds all of your mind in there because he wants us to love him with our minds. We are created with minds, with intellect. We don't turn those things off when we come to Jesus. We are created to think about and ponder and grow in and all the wonderful things that God has created and given and allowed us the ability to create in his image. And Jesus says, and the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. No greater commandment. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, do you take care of yourself? Do you clothe yourself? You try to give yourself rest. You feed yourself. You bathe yourself, hopefully. You brush your teeth, hopefully. You're caring for yourself. Well, that kind of care you give to yourself, care for others. Take, help take care of them. If they don't have clothes, clothe them. If they're hungry, feed them. Give them opportunities to be clean. So Jesus is saying, love your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Mark places these questions as a contrast between what we are so fixated on, death and taxes. And he's saying, will you be more fixated on loving the Lord and loving people? Mark is alluding that these two answers, the answers to these questions, the question Jesus answered just now and the question that Jesus is going to ask, he says those two answers will overshadow the former two the one about death and taxes. They'll overshadow them because they have, the, they have the ability to go beyond this life into a life of eternity. And so he's saying, be concerned about what's happening, not what's inevitable in this life, but you should be questioning what's inevitable in the next. You want to know, he's saying, how if you should pay your taxes or when you're going to die, but you should want to know how to obtain eternal life. In Christ Jesus. So starting with the last question, Jesus goes to the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 35, and he says, he goes to them and he basically asks them this question. Who's, who is the father of the Messiah? Who is the father of, of the Savior, of the Redeemer? Because he's wanting them to figure out who is the, who is the king. He asks them, how can they call David, the, the father of the Messiah, when David calls the Messiah Lord. So he's trying to illustrate to them whose son is, is the Christ. He's wanting them to understand that Jesus is the son of God. 
So if you know the answer to that question, and as followers of Jesus, we would say we know the answer to that question. We know who Jesus uh, belongs to. We know who, where Jesus came from. He came from heaven. He came from God the Father. He is the Son of God, right? And so we understand that question, and, and understanding that question of who Jesus is will determine our next course of action. So if we, if we know that Jesus is the Son of God, then there is something that we have to do that will demonstrate that belief. Because belief without demonstration or without action really does nothing. We don't really believe it. It's only a mental thing, but it actually is not a heart-life transformation. So when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's not just, I know something, but I love my God with my mind, and so what I know, what I believe in my heart, I will confess with my mouth, I will live a transformed life. So Jesus is saying, do you know who the Son of God is? Do you know who Jesus belongs to? And if you say, I know he's the Son of God, then there should be something that demonstrates that kind of belief. So Jesus is saying, look, if you believe that Jesus came from God the Father, then that belief should lead you to obey his voice and his command. Jesus said that my sheep know my voice. And he also says that we will obey his commands. If we belong to him, we will follow his commands. We'll follow his lead. We'll obey his voice. And it says this. He answered the question, well, what does it look like to obey Jesus? What is the greatest commandment? If we're going to obey Jesus, we're going to follow him. Then we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love others as ourselves. We love our neighbors as ourselves. Who's our neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. Loving people and loving God is what it looks like to have a belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is telling us that there might be two certainties in this life, death and taxes, but there are two things that you can do in this life that will give you certainty for the next. There are certainties in this life, death and taxes, we know we'll all experience them. But Jesus is saying, if you want to experience eternal life with me forever, then there are two things that need to be done in this life that will guarantee the certainty of the next. What are those two things? Recognize who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Savior of all human, humanity, humankind, the Savior of the world, and obey his commands. What is his commands? Love God, love people. This will give us a certainty for a life of eternity a certainty for the life of eternity. The Bible tells us if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, the Son of, God, Son of God, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, you will be saved. And if you trust in him, you believe in him, you believe he is who he says he is, then you will obey his commands. You'll recognize, okay, he loves me, so I return that love back to him and to others. Because I am not worthy of his love. I'm not wor I'm not, I don't deserve what Jesus did for me, and yet he did, for, he did it for me anyway. So as I receive it, I return it back to him in worship and praise. That's why we raise our hands. That's why we sing our, our hearts out to him, because he's worthy of it all. He's worthy, so we, I give it back to him. And then as I worship him, I'm reminded, 
I need to help others. I need to bring others up. I need to help them know who Jesus is too, care for their needs, care for their hearts, care for the things they're struggling with, to bring them back up, to walk with them, because that demonstrates that I belong to Jesus. Not because I'm trying to earn a, a, a stamp of approval by people, but because I love Jesus, and it's an outpouring of love for my God that I love others. It's his, his command. And I want to obey his voice. So I'll love God with all of my heart, all of my passion, all of my strength, all of my soul, all of my energy, all of my mind, all of my thoughts. And I'll love my neighbors as myself. These are the commands of Jesus. Doing this gives us a certainty for eternity that will not only persevere through whatever life throws at us here, whatever is inevitable in this life because we understand that our perspective has shifted, that whatever the world says is inescapable, we say God has the final word. So not only does it shift our perspective on the, on the, uh, the things, the certainties of this life, but it gives us a certainty of the next that we'll spend eternity with him. Now, just like people on this world try to escape death and taxes. People try to escape the reality of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he commands his followers to do. This is not a new practice. People have been doing this for centuries. And we even have a struggle sometimes. We, we might understand who Jesus is. We might have the belief that he is God, but yet we struggle to obey. Why? Because to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength means that we have to deny ourselves. We have to carry our cross. We have to sacrifice some things. It means that we have to humble ourselves. We have to, if we're going to love people, it means we have to serve people. All the things we've been talking about, Mark chapter 9, chapter 10. So it's a war between the flesh and the spirit. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my voice. You'll obey my commands. Do you love him, church? Do you love Jesus enough to say, Jesus, I'll obey you. I'll love you with everything that's in me. And I'll love people because you love me so much. And I see the worth and the value of those people. Just like Jesus saw blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road. And when everyone else was telling him to be silent and shut up, demonstrating that he's worthless, Jesus saw him and declared that he had worth. And when the crowd saw that Jesus noticed him, the crowd then noticed him. Well, church, I'm here to remind you, Jesus sees every heart, every person, every person that is broken, hurting, oppressed, struggling, fearful, addicted. He sees them all and he says they have worth and value. Now, will we recognize what Jesus says and also give them worth and value? It takes effort. It takes struggle. But the struggle is for the goodness of God within our hearts. There are two certainties in this life, but Jesus says, I want to help you gain the certainty for eternity. Just like people try to escape, you can't escape the reality of death and taxes, and you can't escape the reality of who Jesus is. He is the king. He is God. And the, 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 the difference between these two realities is that unlike death and taxes... Jesus brings life. Jesus brings freedom. Jesus brings hope where there 
is only heartache. Jesus brings purpose when there is pain. Jesus brings freedom instead of fear. Jesus brings forgiveness instead of punishment. So why do we run from him, church? We should be running to him. Don't run from Jesus today. Don't run from what you know to be true. He is the son of God. But embrace him. Accept him. Pursue him. In him there is life forevermore. Away from him, there is only death, punishment, and destruction. Let's run to him today. My question, church, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you obeying his command? Are you obeying his voice? Are you doing the things he calls you to do? He says all of the law is hinged upon those two commandments. So if you love God with everything that's in you, and you love people, then you're fulfilling everything that Jesus has called you to do. Can we do it, church? I believe we can. Because our beliefs must line up with our actions. Our actions must line up with our beliefs. Our beliefs drive our action. So look at your action. It'll tell you what you believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that every life has worth and value? Then let's live it out as the people of God. There is, a certain, there is a certainty that life is found in Jesus, especially in these uncertain times. People are struggling. People are le- looking for certainty. They're looking for hope in these uncertain times. It's chaotic. It's crazy. Why not give them Jesus? Why not show them Jesus through your life? Why not tell them about how good Jesus is to you, how much he loves you, what he's paid for you, that he's forgiven you, that he's redeemed you, that he's set you free. Why not tell people and give them the hope that if he's done it for you, he can do it for them? Come on, why don't we give people Jesus? Let's not shy away from it. Let's not, let's not fear what they might think or the persecution that we might receive. Those are air quotes because our persecution is nothing like the persecution they experience in the Bible or other people are experiencing around the world who just utter the name of Jesus. So let's not be fearful of what might people do to us or how they might reject us. And let's proclaim who Jesus is and the ability that he has to completely and radically transform our lives. Let's give him Jesus. Because the Bible tells us every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Why not choose to do it freely? It's inevitable that everybody at one, at one day, one day everyone will say that Jesus is God. Jesus is King. But the blessing comes to those who freely lay down their lives and receive the free gift of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is worthy of our worship, worthy of our lives, worthy of our praise. So this morning, as we sit and we listen to the word of God, I want to pray that as followers of Jesus, that we will be a people who understand the certainty of following him, that we understand the severity of our responsibility as his followers to carry the good news all, the, all around the world and everywhere we go, that we are the light in dark places, and that Jesus says, if you will proclaim that I am the Son of God, that I am the Savior of the world, and if you will obey my commands then there is a certainty for you for all eternity. That's for us, church. And for those of us, those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, 
Jesus is saying, look, you don't have to live your life fearful of death or of taxes or whatever else consumes your thoughts at night when you lay on your bed and you try to sleep, but sleep is robbed from you. That doesn't have to be your life. You don't have to drown your sorrows with, uh, with every other uh, 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 alcohol or substance to try to bring you peace. The Prince of Peace is here right now to speak to your heart and to tell you there is life found in me. There is freedom found in me. There is hope found in me. There is salvation found only in the name of Jesus. And all you need to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that he is the Son of God. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and turn to him. And then allow your life to be lived out in such a way that people, when they would see you, would say this person loves the Lord with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, all their strength, and they love people just like they love themselves. They take care of people. That's for you this morning. Those of you who don't have a relationship or you, if you had a relationship and you walked away, Jesus is calling you home right now. And I want to pray a prayer with you right now. If you'll repeat these words after me, say, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me, of my sin and cleanse me from all my unrighteousness, all of my wicked deeds, all of my wicked thoughts. Clean me up right now and purify my heart. I give my life to you. I believe that you're the son of God. You paid the price for my life and I confess that you are king and Lord over all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you can tell us right now. We have an eConnect card that you can fill out online. Or just, I want you to tell somebody. You can tell us right now in the comment section, I prayed this prayer. I gave my life to Jesus. If you're sitting watching with somebody, if somebody invited you over, tell them, hey, I prayed that prayer. It's your confession that you believe in Jesus, and that begins the transformation in your life. Believe it. God loves you. For those of us who are believers, I want to pray a word of encouragement and perseverance and strength. Jesus has called you, if you're a follower, to obey his voice, obey his commands. Church, let's do it, especially in these uncertain times, so that we can live with certainty in our hearts that we are following Jesus. We belong to him. Let me pray as a way of closing out our time. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice right now who calls you Lord. And I pray, Jesus, that you would strengthen them and equip them, God, to obey your voice. You would not call us to do something that we are unable to do. Holy Spirit, you empower us that we can love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and we can love our neighbors as ourselves. So help us do it this week. Help us to do it every day. Be diligent, be mindful, and let us walk in the power that has been given to us over the enemy, over darkness, over sin. And I pray right now, freedom and strength that we would know your word and we would know the power of God in our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It helps us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cvcmadera.churchcenter.com for more information. We love you. God bless.